as Matt announced, we're kind of kicking off today a seven-week series in preparation for Good Friday and Easter Sunday. We're going to be diving into the Gospel of John. We're really going to be looking at the last four chapters of that Gospel, and we're going to be taking what I hope is, is kind of an intimate look, an intense look, really walking with Jesus as He goes to the cross, as He rises from the empty tomb. As you know, Easter is the celebration of our Savior, the celebration of Jesus, our Savior, but not just a Savior, a Savior that was crucified. Not just a Savior that was crucified, a Savior that is crucified and risen. And so that's going to be our focus as we prepare our hearts for that celebration every day. I hope and pray that you find yourself at the foot of the cross, find yourself rejoicing at the empty tomb. So we're going to look at at John's account. John was one of Jesus' closest disciples. He was in the inner circle, a guy who who heard from Jesus, saw Jesus, sat with Jesus. John, one of the few disciples that was actually at the cross during Jesus' Jesus' crucifixion, one of the first disciples after Mary to be at the empty tomb, to peer in and look with uh, Peter. This is a this is a man who met the crucified risen Lord and he says in chapter 20 that the reason he's written this gospel this eyewitness account he says so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name and so that's our hope and prayer for these seven weeks as we prepare for Easter, as we celebrate and look at the end of the book, even the two weeks after Easter, is that you would believe in the name of Jesus that you would have life in his name. So as we prepare to, to walk with Jesus to Good Friday, there's actually obviously a lot of background that led up to the death of Jesus. The controversy uh, around Jesus really was going ever since he launched his public, public ministry for three years. There were crowds of people following him, many of whom were hoping to see a miracle or receive a healing or listen to his claims to be the way, the truth, and the life. But there were others who didn't like what Jesus is doing, specifically the, the Jewish ruling council in Jerusalem found Jesus to be offensive, found him to be slanderous to God, and, and they believed that his following was threatening their role, threatening the stability of Israel. And so if you look at, at chapter 11 of John's gospel, we find that the, that the fame of Jesus soared after he raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. And at that point, this council met together to try to figure out what to do. And in John chapter 11, we'll actually read it later this morning, uh, they reasoned that if they allowed Jesus to go on, the Romans would come in eventually and stamp out what they considered to be an uprising, an uprising in this Jewish community, and they would lose, the Jewish leaders would lose their comfortable place of security and authority. And so Caiaphas, we read in John 11, the high priest of the Jewish nation reasoned, you know what, it's better to put Jesus to death, whether he's guilty or not, it's better to put him to death than for the entire nation of Israel to be destroyed. And so at that moment, after the resurrection of Lazarus, they pledged together that Jesus must be arrested, he must be executed. Only a few weeks later then, thousands of Jewish pilgrims gather together in Jerusalem for the festival of Passover, and the chief priests and the Pharisees then put word out, and they essentially put out a bounty on Jesus' head, reward money for information leading to his arrest. And as many of you know, one of Jesus' own disciples, Judas, was lured in by that. He was the treasurer And he decided he needed more money. He was going to betray Jesus to the council. And so we're going to pick up now the story here in John chapter 18. If you have your Bible, please turn there. If you're using one of the the blue hardback Bibles from the back, it's page 904. Um, By the way, um, Pastor Matt and I love you guys. We, We have the ability to put all these scriptures up on the screen. 
and we'll, we'll put some, some side scriptures, some references up there, but, but we don't put the main passage we're preaching from up on the screen for a good reason because we want you to bring your Bible. And, and if you're of a certain generation or a certain disposition that you'd rather use your phone, okay, use your phone. I, I personally love a paper Bible because I get too distracted if I'm holding my phone. I'm liable to, to, to look something up and, and, and hop on Twitter or whatever. So, so we want you to bring your Bible, whether it's a paper Bible or an electronic Bible. Bring your Bible to church. I believe that as you're hearing the Word of God and as you're seeing it in front of you, the Holy Spirit can seal it in an even more powerful way. So John chapter 18, we're going to read this morning. This is the night of Jesus' arrest, but a lot's already happened happened that night. I've already given you some, some other, some backstory, but let me give you some even more backstory about what happened on, on this night, Thursday it would have been. Chapter 13 tells us that that Thursday night, Jesus gathered together with his disciples for the Passover feast. And that night, Jesus predicted that he would be betrayed, arrested, beaten, and crucified. He also predicted that three days later, he would rise from the dead. And as he's sitting there eating, celebrating the Passover meal, Jesus tells them that his death would atone for the sin of the world. And as they're sitting there, Judas, one of his disciples, was sitting with them, and Jesus looked at Judas, predicted that he would betray him, and the scriptures tell us that Satan entered Judas. And he got up from the table and he left, and he went to carry out what was already in his heart to do, to go meet with the Jewish leaders. And we don't know his exact motives some combination of greed and frustration that Jesus' movement wasn't doing what, what Judas thought it was. But whatever was going on in his heart, Satan was at work. But even beyond that, the Lord was at work to accomplish the salvation of his people. But Judas had had enough from his personal perspective. He had enough and he goes and he sells out his master and he arranges for Jesus to be arrested. And that's what we're going to read here in John 18, late that night as they're gathered in the Garden of Gethsemane. We're going to see Judas arrive with this temple guard. And we're going to read in chapter 18. And as we do, I want you to pay attention. Pay attention to this this morning because this is kind of our big idea. We're going to see this morning, Jesus' acceptance of what is happening is highlighted. And Peter's denial of what is happening is highlighted. See, Jesus has accepted his fate, but Peter is in denial about God's plan. And we're going to see that contrast. So let's pray together and then we'll pick up. I'm going to read in two different sections. Pray with me. Father in heaven... We thank you for your people. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the living word that came to earth, that even now by the power of your Holy Spirit is among us, is in us through faith. And we ask now, Holy Spirit, that you would teach us, that you would stir us, that you would lead us as we, as we read your word in John 18. Would you prepare our hearts to celebrate the resurrection, prepare our hearts to live faithfully, to walk faithfully as obedient followers of Jesus. We thank you that you're a God of life, a God of forgiveness, a God of hope, a God that that sent Christ to come, that we could live not only in eternity, but even now that we could live. So give us ears to hear and eyes to see, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a brand brand of servants and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. 
So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me. I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into your sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Amen. I'm going to pick up and, and read a little bit more later, but let's, let's begin there in verse 1. Jesus has finished his time with his disciples, finished his teaching, preparing them for what's about to happen. They leave the city, they go out to a garden referenced in the other Gospels as, as Gethsemane. And in verse 2, we find out that this is a place that Jesus has often gone with his disciples, often gathered there for teaching and for, for prayer to withdraw from the busy city. And so Judas knew this spot. He knew that they would be there. And in verse 3, we see Judas arriving with essentially a mob, likely both Roman soldiers as well as temple officers. They're carrying torches and lanterns and weapons, right? They're expecting to find a group of people either that are going to try to run away or that are going to try to fight. And so they've come prepared. But something unexpected happens in verse 4. As they arrive, Jesus steps forward. I love this. He doesn't wait for them to find him. He doesn't wait for them to ask him. He steps forward, right? It's like walking into a surprise party already knowing what's going to happen. And Jesus is ready. He knows all things, the scripture says. Jesus, listen, Jesus walked into the Garden of Gethsemane that night fully aware of what was about to happen. He is not taken by surprise. He knows all things. He could have run. He could have stood in the back of the disciples and waited, you know, make, made sure, I hope this is the right, you know, lynch mob, and made sure that they were asking for him. He doesn't run, he doesn't hide, he knows the plan. And listen, he trusts his heavenly father. And so he steps out into the front, I love that, before they can even announce their arrival, before they can even, even ask, Jesus asks. And he says, who are you looking for? Now, can you imagine what the other disciples are going through in their mind? First of all, they see Judas leading the crowd. They just sat with this guy earlier and celebrated Passover. They just sat with him and ate and remembered and celebrated the redemption of Israel out of Egypt. Remembered the faithfulness of God. And now Judas is standing in front of this mob of Roman soldiers and temple officers. And then Jesus steps out into the front and says, who are you looking at? I mean, can you imagine? Jesus, stay quiet. Don't let them know who you are. Let's wait this out. Maybe we can talk our way out of, the, out of this. Or maybe we can create a distraction and, and run, right? But Jesus is taking initiative. Jesus has, has accepted his fate and he is ready. Now in verse 5, the officers announce, Judas still standing with them. The Apostle John wants us to know. They announce that they're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus responds, I am he. The Greek there literally would, would just have, have been, I am. And many commentators think that Jesus, as he, as, he ounce, as he answers their question, as he proclaims, I am he, many, many scholars and, and commentators think that Jesus is alluding to the Old Testament divine name of God. Yahweh, you may know, would have been the Hebrew name for God. We're not exactly sure how it was pronounced. But the Hebrew name for God essentially was, I am. I am who I am. In other words, God had declared to his people, you want to understand who I am? You want to know my proper name? I'm just a guy that exists. I'm simply the one who exists, who has no beginning, no end, who, who always was, always is, always will be. God is the I am 
of creation of the universe. And that's an important theme in John's gospel. Many of you know that there are seven different I am statements in John's gospel where John records the words of Jesus as Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And these kind of proclamations were not taken lightly. In fact, in John chapter 8, it almost got Jesus killed. He's having a discussion, an argument, a debate with the Jewish leaders and, and Jesus is challenging the legacy of Father Abraham. And Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. And, and man, the people, they pick up stones. They, they literally are about to stone him and kill him. In that instance, Jesus evaded them. But this is no light thing that he's saying. In fact, look what happens in verse 6. Jesus steps out in front of the crowd. He says, I am. And something profound happens. You may have never noticed this. Look at what it says in verse 6. This mob of, of intimidating temple officers and soldiers, some commentators suspect hundreds of people carrying torches and spears and swords. What does it say? Jesus says, I am, and they step back and they fall on their, on their backs. They literally, he literally sends them to their backs. This is a group of trained professional soldiers and they are overwhelmed by this this carpenter in a garden at night, unarmed, they are overwhelmed by his proclamation. And like a six-year-old boy seeing a big spider, they just fall down in fear. See, when Jesus declared, I am, he is courageously, powerfully declaring his identity and it literally knocked them over. And I think in that moment, I think, I think his humanity was like peeled back. And his divine nature, the very power and the very presence of God, his divine name, Yahweh, was revealed and they are swept off their feet. And their numbers and their strength and their weapons were no match for Jesus' simple declaration of his identity. Listen, Jesus was arrested that night, but he was not taken. He is giving himself. Do you see that? He is giving himself into their hands. And it knocks them down. Throughout scripture, when we see the manifestation of God's presence, people are knocked off their feet. It happened to Paul at Paul's conversion. It happened to John himself when he saw the revelation of Jesus. You cannot stay standing when the God of the universe reveals himself. And that's what's happening that night. Now, now, now picture this. Look what's happening in verse 7. The people are, I think, still lying on the ground, from what I can tell from the text, likely still kind of dazed and confused from this just divine announcement. And Jesus asked them again, as they're on the ground, maybe dusting off their, you know, trying to get up. And he says again, who are you looking for? And they repeat again, uh, probably stammering this time, uh, uh, we're um, looking for uh, 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 Jesus, we're uh, looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And I love his response in verse 8. I... I Think maybe he's mocking them a little bit? I don't know, but he's like, I already told you that I'm he. So if I'm the one you came to arrest, let these other men go free. Now John tells us in verse 9 that Jesus is fulfilling his own pledge. The own pledge that he's made, we read it earlier in John's Gospel in chapter 6 and chapter 17, where Jesus says, all of the disciples that have been given to, my, given to me by the Father, I'm not going to lose any of them. See, Jesus is the good shepherd laying down his life for his sheep. And the primary reason that he steps up in front and says, who are you looking for? That's me. He says, let these men go. 
You see, the good shepherd is laying down his life for the sheep. And the first sheep that he's laying his life down for are those 11 disciples. He doesn't want them arrested. He doesn't want them taken into custody. He's, he comes out so that they come at him first. Moms, you ever been walking on your tra- on the trail with, with some kids? And, and a dog is coming your way and the dog's not on the leash? And you see the owner trying to call the dog back, but that dog's coming up and barking. You don't know. What, what do you do? You put your kids behind you. Right? And you say, excuse me, can you get this dog on elite? Right? You're protecting them. Men, you have your, your family coming out of a dark restaurant, going around the corner to park your car, and you see somebody coming out from around the corner who looks dangerous, who looks like a weapon. Maybe they have a, a you know, a mask on. What are you gonna do? Hopefully you're not gonna, you're not gonna run and hide, right? You're gonna put your family behind you and you're gonna say, what, what do you want? What do you need, right? You're going to step out in front of them. Do you see Jesus stepping out in front of his disciples to protect them, to lay down his life for them, saying, if you're here for me, let them go. And in verse 10, despite this amazing, powerful, awestruck scene, somehow Simon Peter thinks that Jesus is going to need his help. And Simon thinks he's going to take matters into his own hands, that he needs to fight back. And so Simon pulls out a a short dagger and he, he reaches out to strike Malchus, the, pre, the high priest's servant, likely the one leading the mob. Now, he doesn't get the hit that he intended, right? He slices off the, the servant's ear. Remember, Peter's a fisherman, not a soldier. So I imagine he was probably looking to do a little more damage than that. But the other Gospels tell us that, that Jesus rebukes Peter, reminds Peter, look, if I wanted to, I could call down thousands of angels right now from my father if I wanted to fight back. Put your sword away. Jesus then, then making it clear that he doesn't want to fight, he goes over to, to Malchus and he heals his ear. He, he, he puts it back on. He, he heals him. Jesus is not fighting this. He's not wanting to re- respond in violence. He is willingly walking. He has accepted the plan and the purpose of God. And Jesus says here in John eighteen eleven, he says to Peter, put your sword away. Shouldn't I drink the cup that my father has given me? Now, earlier that night, Jesus has, has prayed more, more likely begged, begged God through sweat and tears. Lord, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Jesus has accepted he's going in willingly, but it's not without pain and, 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 and agony, right? Because the cup of God is an Old Testament illusion to represent the, the wrath of God, the anger of God, the just punishment of God. For Jesus to say he must drink his father's cup means he's going to take on divine judgment. Now Jesus on his knees had battled and prayed that night before Judas and the posse arrived. But once he realized that there was no other way, there was no other way to save God's children, then now he is confident and bold and courageous to go forward towards the cross. See, it's not just a physical punishment. I would argue it's not even primarily the physical punishment. And, and, and we have sympathy and our hearts break for the beating and the whipping and the crucifixion. But do you know what Jesus was most afraid of? It was drinking his father's cup. His father that he had literally, since eternity, been in intimate relationship, the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Now the Father was going to turn his back on him. He was going to receive divine punishment for sin. 
But Jesus has accepted the plan of God. He knows He's going to save the world, save His brothers and sisters, the sons and daughters of God. And so He's going to drink. He is going to drink, meaning He will He will take on the righteous anger of God and spare the believers who follow Him. Do, do you see here, do you see Jesus' acceptance of what is happening? Do you see how it's contrasted with Peter's denial? Peter's denying that this needs to happen. He wants to fight his way out of it. Now remember, this is Peter, the one who would first declare Jesus' identity as the Messiah, the clear leader of the group, but he still doesn't get it. See, Peter still wants Jesus to work according to Peter's agenda, according to his timeline, his expectations. While Jesus has fully accepted his fate, Peter is still in denial. And Peter's going to try to do anything he can to stop it. Even though Jesus has told his disciples this is going to happen, they're not ready for it. Jesus getting arrested, Jesus being executed clearly was not Peter's idea of a Messiah. And as we're about to see, while Peter has zeal, his faith is still in himself. His his faith is still in his way of doing things, his ability to control the situation. And Peter denies God's plan and it leads him to become short-sighted and closed-minded and selfish. And what's going to happen? He's going to commit the greatest mistake of his life, we'll, we'll read in a minute. Jesus says he must drink the cup of his father. And he tells Simon, in essence, Simon, put the sword away, step back, and trust me, and trust the father's plan, because everything is under God's control, and all of this must take place. Do you see Jesus willing, willing to go to the cross? He gives up himself voluntarily. He didn't have to go with that mob. That mob had no power over him. He could have just shouted out another I am and hightailed it out of there. But he accepts what's about to happen. He allows it. He gives his consent. I would say not just acceptance, but approval. He's approving of what is about to happen. The mob did not overtake Jesus that night. He stepped forward. He leaned in. This is what he says in John chapter 10 about what he knew was going to happen. Read along with me on the screen. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. No one's taking Jesus' life from him. No one, no one's tying up Jesus against his will that night. Jesus stands up and declares, I am. Who are you looking for? Oh, Jesus, I am. I am He. Arrest me because I am the Christ. I am the one who came to protect God's people. I am the one who came to protect those who cannot protect themselves, who cannot save themselves. And He lays down His life that night, even for the disciples that are about to run, the disciples that are about to hide, the disciples that are about to desert Him, the disciples that are about to deny Him, even Peter, who not only denied God's plan, but denied even knowing Jesus. He says, let them go. And we see Jesus' sacrifice, even before He got on the cross, His sacrifice for the disciples whom He loved. Friends, He took the hit for you and I. He stepped up to protect you just as he protected the disciples that night. Listen, even the disciples that denied him, even the disciples that ran from him, he didn't say, well, John's going to be at the cross, so let John go. These other guys, he laid down his life even for those that wouldn't stand with him. 
Do you, do you know that? Do you know the love of Jesus? Do you know his willingness to go to the cross for you? Do you know how, how, how loved and how special you are? How, how willing he was to step forward for you and I? Sometimes when I, I run into people that are connected with living hope, if they haven't been to church the week before or the week before that, or maybe a few weeks, sometimes there's this like immediate reaction where they, they want to give me an excuse, right? Like somehow I'm, I'm the principal that, that's going to, you know, scold them for their lack of attendance. And sometimes people will say, oh, it's good to see you, Pastor. Yeah, we, we were traveling last week. Oh, and the week before that, so-and-so had COVID. I'm so sorry. We'll be back Sunday, I, you know. Now look, I want you guys to come to church. We just spent four weeks talking about the priority and the beauty of the church, right? I want you to be at church. I want you to, to, to be faithful in your spiritual disciplines. But this woman that I ran into recently at the Y, she said, oh, I'm so sorry we haven't been to church lately. She said, I'm not a very good Christian. And, and, and I exhorted her. I said, don't say that. Don't, don't say that you're not a good Christian. I said, I want you at church. I hope that you'll come to church. But whether you come to church or not, there's no good Christian, there's no bad Christian. There's Christians that Jesus laid down his life for. And that's it. That's it. You may be here this morning, in your heart you may feel like you're not a good Christian. You may feel like you haven't been faithful. You may feel like you're not worthy to come up and celebrate the Lord's Supper. You're not worthy to stand and to sing these praise songs. Brothers and sisters, he laid down his life to protect us. To protect the sheep that, that would wander. To protect the sheep that are not faithful. To protect the sheep that, that, yeah, are not worthy of his being his followers. That are not good Christians. That's why he came. And so the call is, is to not do better. The call is to trust him. The call is not to work harder. The call is to rest in him. To accept him. And to accept that he has come for you. Laid down his life for you. Let's continue reading. Let's read about Caiaphas and Peter. Pick up with me in verse 12. It says, The band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl, who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Then the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple, where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. 
Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed. So they tie up Jesus, they drag him back into the city, they lead him to Annas. Now it's a little confusing because in the New Testament Gospels, both Annas and Caiaphas are mentioned as the high priest. In fact, sometimes in the very same verse, they're called the high priest. Here's the deal. Annas is like the patriarch. For 10 years, he had been the high priest, but he's now retired. And so now there's this annual rotation of his five sons and sons-in-laws that are serving in what would have been an elected position as high priest. High priest would have been been the leader, the presiding uh, officer of the Jewish council, the Jewish ruling council in Jerusalem called the Sanhedrin. And so Annas is technically no longer in that elected position, but he's still the patriarch of the family. He still goes by the title high priest. He's still calling the shots. Caiaphas is actually the one who is serving as high priest that year, his son-in-law. But Annas says, before he's sent to Caiaphas for the official trial, I want to interview him first. I want to know what's going on with this rabble-rouser. John, then jumping down to verse 19, we see the high priest questioning Jesus about his teachings and about his practices. And Jesus is responding there in 20 and 21. You want to know what I've taught? Hey, I haven't hidden anything. I've been teaching out and open in the temple, in the synagogues. You want to know what I've taught? Go ask the crowds. Ask the people that have heard me. Now, of course, Jesus has spent plenty of time privately with his disciples, investing in them. But his point is, he doesn't have some secret agenda. He's not building some secret conspiracy. His theology, his, his agenda have been widely heard by the thousands. And Jesus says, go interview them. And he likely responds this way because he knows that according to Jewish law, he can't be accused, convicted, and condemned based upon anything he says. If he's going to be condemned, it's going to require validation from, from verified witnesses. And so he's like, why are you interviewing me? Go interview the people that have heard me. Of course, the officers get defensive in verse 22. They don't like Jesus' response. They smack him, saying, why are you talking to the high priest like that? And and I love Jesus' response in 23. He's like, hey, if I said something wrong and I deserve to be hit, that's fine. Tell me what I did wrong. If not, why are you hitting me? Jesus is far more righteous than this mock trial that's about to happen in the middle of the night. Now, in verse 24, Annas apparently realizes he's not going to get anything good out of Jesus to accuse him, and so he sends him to Caiaphas to have official charges brought before the Sanhedrin. Now we're told up in verse 14 that Caiaphas was the one who had set the original plot to have Jesus arrested and ultimately executed. See, Caiaphas was the one who had reasoned that whether or not Jesus was guilty or innocent, we're better off putting Jesus to death than to continue this uprising, this following, and risk the stability of the entire nation. Now, of course, it was no accident that Caiaphas was the officer serving as high priest that year. It's no no accident that, G, that Caiaphas was the one who controlled Jesus' fate, at least from a, from a human perspective. Look, look what it says in John chapter 11. This is right after Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead, probably only a few weeks before the night of Jesus' arrest, and this is what happened. 
The chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Do you see that? Caiaphas doesn't know whether Jesus is really guilty or innocent of blasphemy, of treason. Caiaphas doesn't even really care. He just wants Jesus to die. And if Jesus has to die as a sacrifice to save his comfortable, stable life, his authority over the Jews, the relative stability that they had with the Romans, then Caiaphas says, throw him to the wolves. See, look, Jesus was willing to die because he knew that there was a much deeper sacrifice happening. He knew that his death on the cross would be an atonement for sin. But Caiaphas, he only ruled for himself. Jesus died for us. Caiaphas ruled for himself. Caiaphas ultimately was a coward trying to save his own skin. Jesus was courageous. Jesus voluntarily, willingly was arrested, was accused, was questioned, was beaten, was ultimately convicted because he knew far better than Caiaphas that yes, his life would be a sacrifice for many. Yes, for the the nation of Israel, but ultimately for all of us, for those scattered Jew and Gentile alike from every tongue, tribe, and nation leading on into the 21st century and every century moving forward until Jesus returns. Jesus died for his for his children. He knew that was the purpose, and so he did not run. He did not fight. He did not resist. He accepted his fate. Jesus willingly, boldly, and courageously walked up to the cross. He accepted his duty. He accepted his privilege as the crucified, risen Savior. See, Jesus also was a high priest, we're told in the book of Hebrews. And he wasn't a high priest that ruled simply to save his own skin. But as Hebrews says, a high priest who offered himself to bear the sins of many. Who who put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. A sacrifice for you and I. And so guys, I ask you this morning, will you look to him? Will you look to him as savior? Will you trust him? Not as a selfish domineering leader, but as a sacrificial leader who laid down his his life both as high priest and as sacrifice, that you and I could walk free, that you and I could live, that you and I wouldn't have to face the wrath and the punishment of God because Jesus drank that cup dry on the cross. So Jesus is being questioned probably inside the house of of Annas, but, but outside, Peter's also being questioned. Look at verses 15 and 16. Simon, it says, and another disciple follow along. And this other disciple, maybe John, John refers to himself in other places as the disciple whom Jesus loved. John talks about himself, but he doesn't name himself in the gospel. I guess he was trying to be humble, but we sort of figured out it's him. Um, But whoever it is, this disciple is known by the high priest officials. And so he gets in, he goes then talks to the servant girl who's serving as the bouncer. They let Peter in as well, and now they're in the courtyard. Now, this is a risky place to be. Peter's about to fail big, but I give him credit that he's there to begin with, right? I mean, best case scenario is that they're recognized and that they are caught and used to 
you know, to try to get something out of them to have Jesus accused. Worst case scenario is they're recognized and caught, and they are also put on trial for blasphemy and insurrection along with Jesus. They're risking their very lives even by sneaking into the courtyard that night. Were they curious? Were they being brave? We don't know. But we read in verse 17 that once they're inside the courtyard, trouble starts. The servant girl who, who's watching the door recognizes Peter as one of Jesus' disciples. And she asks Peter about it. Hey, aren't you one of his followers? But he denies it. He says, I am not. Now again, we're hard on Peter. But at least he was there. Because everyone else ghosted Jesus. Ghosted Jesus like he was Bernie Madoff. I mean, they just ran and hid. I never knew the guy. Peter and and the other disciple are there. Verse 18, it's cold out, so we read that there's a fire in the courtyard, and they come around the the fire. Now, Peter's a man after my own heart. You guys know I I get chilly easily, right? And so he goes up to the fire. He risks being seen. Apparently, that's how cold it was. He's like, i got to warm myself up. So he's standing by the fire. Somebody else says, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? Look at verse 25. They recognize him again, and Peter again denies it. He says, I am not. And a third time, someone asks Peter, three times. This time, one of the servants of the high priest, somebody that was in the garden, a relative of the guy that had his ear cut off. And he's like, hey, I was there. I think you had a sword. You were the one that cut off my cousin's ear. Peter now, for the third time, denies it. And at that moment, we're told that a rooster crows. That's a, that's a crucial detail. In Matthew's Gospel, we, we read that that Peter immediately left, he fled out of the courtyard and he wept bitterly because he knows what he's done. And he remembers now. Because earlier that night, Thursday night, Peter had told Jesus, look man, I'll do anything for you. I'm with you no matter what. This is about to get heavy. We're in, in Jerusalem for the Passover. There's crowds everywhere. The Jewish ruling council is after you. I'm with you, Jesus. He said, I'll give up my life for you. And Jesus responded to Peter earlier that night. Will you da- lay down your life for me? He says, in reality, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you're going to deny that you even know me three times. Now, Peter's a man who's got great intentions, right? But those intentions are rooted in his own strength, in his own identity, in his own vision for God's plan. See, Jesus had accepted his fate, but Jesus had also accepted what was going to happen with Peter. He had also accepted... He told Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And you know what? Jesus loved him in spite of his failure. Man, I was blown away this week by this comparison between between Jesus and Peter. Look at their words. Jesus stood before the mob and confidently declared, I am. Before a, a mob of soldiers. And then you see Peter cowering. Before some servants, what does Peter say? I am not. Do you see that? Jesus stands up and he says, I am. And Peter cowards and he says, I am not. Denying the plan of God. Denying that he is in any way aligned with Jesus. You see, Peter denied what Jesus had fully accepted. What Jesus even embraced. The will of God. The plan of God. Jesus embraced his identity. Peter denied it. Peter denied even knowing Jesus at all to save his own skin. Jesus accepted his fate as a sacrifice for you and I. Now put yourself in in Peter's sandals for a minute. 
Put yourself in the confusion of that night, the fear of that night, the uncertainty of that night. Can you blame him? Can you blame him for denying any affiliation with the man, let alone being in the inner circle of his disciples, let alone being in essence the ruler, the leader of the disciples? Is a man about to be convicted of blasphemy and of treason, about to be crucified in the most painful form of execution? Can you blame him for not speaking up? I don't know about you, but there have been times I haven't spoken up. Now, now we may have never been asked, are you a follower of Jesus and denied it outright, but how many times have we kept quiet? How many times have people been bashing the church? How many people have... Have times that people made, made racial slurs or people demeaned women or people spoken irreverently or people used the Lord's name in vain and we just stood, stood by quietly, not wanting to make a commotion, not wanting to cause a scene, not wanting to draw attention to ourselves, not wanting to ruin our reputation for being some, some fundamental Christian, not speaking up and say, why, why would you speak about people that way? Why, why would you use the name, the name of the Lord that way? He, he, he's my savior. Could you not speak that way? Friends, listen, don't point a finger at Peter because in essence, all sin is simply denying our relationship with Jesus. When we give in to greed or anger, when I speak harshly to my children, when I look to, 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 to food or drink to provide some sort of, of comfort, when we are greedy for the things of this world, in essence, we're just denying Jesus in our own heart. Saying in this moment, when I choose the things of this world, in this moment, when I don't act like a follower of Jesus, but I act like a son or daughter of the world, I'm just denying. I'm just denying Jesus. Denying that He loves me. Denying that He died for me. Denying that I've given my life to follow Him. And I would rather choose the easy path. The path of comfort. The path of least resistance. That's all Peter did that night, was choose the path of least resistance. That's the essence of sin. For all of us who follow Jesus, we've all denied him and so the call this morning as we as we close is to be a people that accept christ that accept the plan of god with the courage and strength that jesus did the bible says if you confess with your mouth that jesus is lord if you believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead you will be saved there is a, an aspect of confession of even verbal confession that's why when you're baptized we ask you to proclaim verbally your faith in jesus there's something to be said yes for speaking up for standing up for proclaiming audibly yes your faith is internal and personal but we must confess with our mouth Jesus, in fact, said it like this. This is a hard word, but look at, look at Jesus' own words in Matthew chapter 10. He says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Now those are heavy words. But the Bible is very, very clear. Jesus only saves those who trust Him. We must trust Him. We must confess that He is our crucified, risen Savior. We must acknowledge Him here on earth to be the recipients of His saving work on the cross and in the tomb. I don't know about you, but my faith is sometimes weak, maybe often weak. I don't really want to think about what I would have done in Peter's position that night. The Bible says that we must acknowledge Jesus before men, but I know there are times when I have not. But here is our saving grace. Jesus stood up 
for Peter in the garden. Think about that. Jesus knew that just a few hours later, Peter was going to deny him three times in the courtyard. Peter still stood up and said, take me, leave my disciples. See, Jesus died for us precisely because he knew, just like Peter, just like John, none of us would have the courage, none of us have the faith to acknowledge him on earth all the time. To always stand up as a faithful follower of Jesus. He knew that we couldn't do that. There's a difference, though, between, between falling into sin and being faithless in a moment and continuing in faithlessness. There's a, a difference between denial in the moment and ultimate denial, ultimately denying faith in Christ. See, even Peter's denial that night was, was temporary, you could say. He failed in the moment, but what happened? We'll, we'll read in the weeks to come that, that Peter repented. He was restored. His faith in Jesus, in the end, prevailed. See, listen, we can hold on to Jesus because Jesus is holding on to us. Amen? We can be faithful because Jesus is faithful to us, just like He was faithful to Peter, even though Peter turned his back on Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul summarizes it this way in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He says, This saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with Him, Jesus, we also will live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. Listen to what this says. This is a hard word, but I, I say to you today with as much, as much love and as much clarity as I can, that if you do not believe in Jesus, if you do not have faith, if you do not give yourself to Him, if you deny Jesus as your Savior, if that's your posture in life, the Scripture says that He will deny you before the Father. But if you do believe, if you're here today and you say, I believe, I mess up every day, but man, I believe the Spirit is in my heart. You will be faithless, right? We, we may believe, but we don't always walk in faith. We will be faithless, but what does it say? He remains faithful because He cannot deny Himself. Hear, hear this truth this morning. Those who Christ died for belong to Him. He is in you and you are in Him. And He could no more deny one of God's own children than He could deny Himself. He cannot do it. Through faith we belong to Him. He belongs to us. And so even when you slip, even when you fail, even like Peter, you deny Him overtly. If you stand with Him, if, if you are covered by his, his blood on the cross, if, if His resurrection life has filled you, He cannot deny you. He could no more deny you than He could deny Himself. Jesus has walked out in front of our sin, walked out in front of the devil, walked out in front of death, and He has declared, I am the great I am. Leave them alone. And He soaked up and drank up and received the punishment for our sins, our failures, our greed, our anger, our lust, our apathy, our lack of faith, our lack of courage, and He drank it up. And our enemies, like that night in the garden, they fall flat on their backs. Sin and death and the devil are wiped out and are no longer a threat. And He died on the cross the next day. And He rose again three days later. Why? Because we need a Savior. We need a Savior who will accept us even on the days when we deny Him. 
And thank God that His acceptance is not grounded in our strength or our obedience or our faith. It's grounded in Himself. Even when you deny Him, He accepts you. You who are in Christ. You who have faith. You who eat at the Lord's table. You who even when you fail, you repent and you say, God, help me and forgive me again. The great I Am stood up for you. Even when you were running and hiding. Friends, the worship team is going to come and we're going to worship again this morning. We're going to worship this great I Am who speaks and enemies fall on their backs. We're going to worship again. And I invite you, I encourage you as you worship to cry out to God for faith. To cry out to God for strength to walk with Him and to live with Him. And as we sing this morning, uh, elders and, and, and your wives, I'm, I'm sorry I didn't give you a heads up. Would you gather here on the sides because we want to pray with you. And, and the call this morning is not if you're weak in faith or if you're struggling or if you need help or if, if you need courage or if you need stronger uh, faith. That's not the call this morning. The only if is if you're a follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, come up and let us pray with you. I'd love to see just a long line of people. We're not going to be long. We're, we, we've, got, we've got no secret prayer. We're just going to come up and, and just pray. Father, give our sister faith. Help her to stand in courage. Help her to trust Jesus as Savior, to walk with you in obedience. So elders, please come up. Worship team, thank you for leading us. Stand with me as we worship and as we pray together. Father in heaven, we ask now that you would stir faith. We ask now as we worship the great I Am that you would come and speak that divine name into our hearts, that we would be men and women of courage, of faith, to walk in obedience. Forgive us. Forgive us who walked in this morning feeling like a failure, feeling like we weren't a good Christian, feeling like we haven't lived for you. Forgive us and fill us again with renewed courage, with renewed grace, with renewed strength to be the husbands you've called us to be, the wives you've called us to be, the parents, the neighbors, to walk in strength, not because we've got it figured out, not because we're enough, but because Jesus is, because Jesus went to the cross. Hear our worship. Fill us with strength. Come, Holy Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us pray with you this morning. Let us pray that the Spirit would give you grace to walk with Him, to live as a follower of Jesus.